0: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode, special beginning week, the week episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. Hi, right, Joe. Well, we're doing a special Monday night episode to recap we had an amazing weekend in college football and the NFL, and this is going to be a two-part show. First one, we're going to talk all about college football, and no greater way to begin than by talking about what was a really important win for the Auburn Tigers on the road in a hostile Kyle field. And Bo Nix in his first start ever in front of 102,000 angry Aggies gets a big win. And I really think that all of the talk of Gus Malzahn not making it to the season is now done. completely dissipated. You start out 4-0, you're a top 10 team. Um, Every test that's been on the horizon thus far, they've passed with flying colors. They've demonstrated that they can win um, close games in hostile environments, and the ability to come back in the fourth quarter as they displayed against Oregon in week one. It reminds me a lot of how Georgia utilized Jake Frost two years ago as a true freshman. I feel like um, you see Bo Nix not doing too much. You know, he can make throws and be efficient when necessary, but, you know, they let other guys kind of carry the load. I feel like it's a team that has a really good defense, and uh, they really let him, you know, um, steer the ship as a true freshman, but just not have to shoulder um, an overwhelming amount of responsibility. Well, that's exactly what it is, Joe. Um, you know, he had 100 yards passing in the game. Didn't put himself in any bad situations, no turnovers. He had a few opportunities on deep balls that he missed. But really, when you're running the ball the way that Auburn was in that game, they had almost 200 yards rushing, I think 196, against it's a really great rush defense. The best way to really impose your will with somebody on the road is to run the football effectively and they didn't really need Bo Nix to do a whole lot. Um, he had the opportunity to hit it maybe a couple more passes that he didn't. But I thought he was efficient, and he made the plays that he needed to, including at the end when A&M made it slightly interesting. They needed to get a first down at the end. It was third and five, and just like Bo did in the Oregon game when he needed to, he picked up the first down with his legs. Yeah, I mean, he's, um, I feel like, multi-dimensional with his ability to be a dual threat at times. Um, and then you talk about running the ball. I feel like the lack thereof for Texas a this year has really hurt their offense. Not having Trameon Williams, it cannot be overstated how monumental of a loss that was for Jimbo Fisher's offense. Because Pelagon is still putting up pretty uh, big numbers this year. He threw for over 330 yards Saturday against a really good Auburn defense but you just don't see the ability to run the ball. Mond was the leading rusher for AM with only 26 yards. Anytime I see a team have their quarterback lead the team in rushing, unless it's a, somebody like Cam Newton, it's always a cause for concern. So I think that it's very disappointing how A&M already has two losses this year. Look at what uh, what has got left. They still got to play Georgia, Alabama, and LSU. And right now, with the struggles their offenses are having, it's tough for me to imagine them hanging with LSU's putting up number, putting up points at an unprecedented number. And then Alabama, they can just sling it all over the field. And Georgia looks like a very complete team right now. And as good as Auburn played, their offense is still not clicking on all cylinders. And right now they're not playing at quite the same level that Georgia, Alabama, or LSU is. So based on the way that A&M was severely outclassed for both Clemson and Auburn, with each of them probably not playing their best game, looks like the chances of the Aggies winning more than eight games in the regular season or eight games period over the season, uh, looks like it's going to be non-existent. And I think that if you're an Aggie fan, probably seven and five is what you're looking at this season. Yeah, without a yeah, doubt, I think that's very accurate. But Joe, one thing that I, that I really wanted to take away too is I think we saw that even though the Bo Nicks only passed for one hundred yards, you saw the ability of having a healthy Anthony Schwartz. That first touchdown run that he had for sixty yards, he really showed off his Olympic speed and kind of added that Percy Harvin element to the offense that we've been waiting for with Percy uh, with with, uh, with Anthony Schwartz. Unfortunately, he's been he's been hurt the whole season. But he saw what kind of game-changer he can make in not only the pass game, but in the run game. Yeah, definitely. And I just saw one of the guys that was in my fraternity posted on there that, uh, you know, though Nick had settled down and hit a couple of those passes, we would have put up 42, which I completely agree with. He had three wide-open receivers that he could have hit on deep bombs that were wide open, and he missed it. But, you know... I wasn't that upset because I feel like in time he's going to hit those passes. It's just uh, right now I'm just glad he's not turning the ball over. But I'm very encouraged about it moving forward, and it seems like there's improvement every week. Um, Switching to our other team that had a little bit of a disappointing end to their game, uh, Ole Miss, I I was really upset by not only the referees not looking at the, what looks to be like a touchdown at the end of the game, I was actually more upset with Matt Luke's clock management because I really felt like that wouldn't have even been an issue if they had shown a lot more urgency at the end of that game because they had plenty of time. Although they didn't have timeouts, I mean, they moved the ball pretty quick down the field, but they got inside the 10 and all of a sudden it took them a minute to get three plays off. I, I didn't really understand what was happening right there. Yeah, it was clock mismanagement. A lot of Ole Miss fans have already said that a loss like that in a season where Ole Miss was really hoping to make it to a bowl game um, could really hurt Matt Luke's chances long-term of keeping this job past the next season or two, if not after this season. And um, you look at how the offense was able to get a spark once true freshman John Rex Plumlee uh, came into the game I think he's very dynamic. I really think he's tailor-made for Rich Rodriguez's offense. Matt Corral put up some decent numbers, but he's more of a guy that has a strong arm, and he's not as much of a runner. And even though he has arm strength, I didn't think he was very accurate on Saturday, not really able to hit receivers in stride. So he comes out of the game with an injury, had a rib injury, and then you get Plumlee in the game, the offense was just running much more smoothly, but they were not able to capitalize like you alluded to due to clock mismanagement. I um, also thought that it is somewhat suspicious, of course, that there's Pac-12 referees mm-hmm. involved in the game. You can throw out you know, all the conspiracies you want to. Um, but it seems like lately, Dan, for any team that you and I group for, whether it's the Saints or Ole Miss, the officials are clearly – Not on our side. Yeah, definitely not. Um, You know, what I don't understand, Joe, is you get inside two minutes, and this is the way it is in college football and the NFL right now. They have the option from the booth to review what happens on the field, and that was one where it was clearly, you know, even if it wasn't a touchdown, it was close enough that it warranted a look. And what you could have done is if you still found that he didn't score after that period, you just could have put the ball down, And then once you got everybody set, you run the clock after that. And they had every opportunity to do that. And they should have looked at that. And instead, Ole Miss was fourth down. They couldn't spike it. So they had to do something really quickly. And, I mean, the play call wasn't very good, but they were kind of out of options at that point. And I just couldn't believe that nobody up top got them to stop and look at that play before Ole Miss had to run fourth down play. Yeah, just absolutely inexcusable, um, stunning, and I was shocked, honestly, that Ole Miss even had time to line up for an attempt at quarterback sneak because I think that they started setting up with under nine seconds to go. I was just. Joe, not only that, I mean that win over Arkansas, it was not it was not ever really that that much valued. It's it's severely devalued now after what they that egg they laid against San Jose State over the weekend. But they really needed that win. Um, everything kind of lined up in their favor. They had a West Coast team coming to play them, and the hot be Sun on Saturday in September. And they moved the ball very well against them, but time after time they got in the red zone and didn't put TDs up and either came up flat or put up field goals. And in the end, that's going to cost you against what's a pretty good Cal team. Not a great team, but has some defensive firepower and, uh, you know, had had some playmakers on offense. So that was a game that Ole Miss had every opportunity to win and didn't. And a lot of that was coaching. Right. Speaking of coaching, I thought that, All week long, all I heard about was that Georgia is basically the greatest team to ever walk the face of the planet. Notre Dame didn't even deserve to shine their shoes, and that it was going to be an absolute bloodbath. I don't think I've ever seen before a number three versus a number seven where the line got out to 16.5 points. I mean, it was crazy. And I've been saying basically for six months that I feel like people were really down on Notre Dame unfairly.
1: I'm not a I'm
0: not a Notre Dame fan. I like them more now that I'm Catholic and that I'm not a fan of theirs. But they're you know they're a team that I like now. But the thing is is I don't think that they lost as badly to Clemson as a lot of people said they did because if you really watched that Clemson game last year. Clemson had to make some incredible plays to really expand on that lead. And I thought Notre Dame in a lot of ways played Clemson tighter than Bama did. And I think you saw that. And Georgia did not play a bad game. They didn't play the best game. But Notre Dame went toe-to-toe with them for sixty minutes between the hedges and had every opportunity to win that game. And that's kind of what I thought would happen. I thought Georgia would win, but I thought Notre Dame would put up a very good presence and show that they are a good football team. And I really think that a lot of people, uh, you know, nationally are giving Notre Dame a lot more credit than they should, you know, that they than they should have the whole time. And I thought that was an impressive performance. Not exactly what you wanted as an Irish fan, you wanted to get the W, but at least you showed that you can play with the big boys. Oh, absolutely. And I wasn't that surprised either, because I feel like when you look at how the playoffs take place, there's such a long layoff. There's over a month between the conference championships and the playoff, around a month. And I just feel like the way the sport of football works Teams are not in the same rhythm. They're not in sync. It's almost like it's a different installment of a different season. And I feel like, you know, what we saw from a team like Notre Dame against uh, just a hot Clemson team, maybe a historically hot Clemson team last year, is not necessarily indicative of the talent they displayed throughout the entirety of the 2018 season. We saw um, Notre Dame go toe-to-toe with Georgia two years ago. And almost almost win that game, only lose by one point. And Ian Book, it's a really good quarterback. Um, They go on the road to Athens, and they play a very tight game against Georgia. Um, I think that Jake Fromm played very efficiently, didn't try to do too much. I think he was 20 for 26 passing. Uh, DeAndre Swift, kind of the same story, pretty efficient, almost 100 yards. Um, but I think my biggest takeaway, when I look at Georgia this year, I've heard a lot of people say that they have a great chance to unseat Alabama this season. A lot of people are picking them to win the SEC. My only level of skepticism is that I do not see the firepower on offense with Georgia mm. that I've seen from LSU and that I've seen from Alabama. I don't think the wide receivers are as good. I don't think Swift has been quite as dynamic as I expected. And so I think Georgia's offense is going to have to get um, a little higher in order for them to be able to defeat some of these upper-tier offenses uh, like Clemson, Alabama, and LSU down the stretch. Well, Joe, when I look at Georgia right now, in a lot of ways, I see uh, a more talented Auburn. I mean, they have kind of similar issues right now. They haven't really opened up the offense a whole lot. they both got really good running backs. I mean, I think Swift is obviously a much better running back than Boobie Whitlow is. But right now they've been a little conservative. And I was watching that game against Notre Dame. They didn't take a whole lot of chances. And they also didn't emphasize the run game enough. I thought they could have pounded Swift a lot more. And I thought there were opportunities to go deep against Notre Dame. But they, they settled for dink and dunk short passes the whole time. And it was efficient and moved the ball well, but it didn't put up a lot of numbers. And I kind of agree with you right now. I don't see a whole lot of firepower on Georgia's offense. And, you know, some of that is you look at the receivers they lost. They lost Nicole Hardeman. They lost Riley Ridley. There were a lot of players they had last year that are turning out to do pretty well in their first year in the NFL. And they just don't have a lot of receiver firepower. And it really does look right, like right now if you want to hang with LSU and Alabama and, maybe even Auburn because of how good their defense is, you got to be able to throw the ball with a, a bit greater ability and have these like show-stopping wide receivers. And it doesn't look like Georgia has that right now. Right. They're definitely going to have to work on that and make some vast improvements if they want to uh, contend for a national title. Although I will say, Joe, um, compared to Georgia last year, I feel like their defense is a lot better this year than what I saw last year. Uh, They're very difficult to run the ball against, which is going to help you a lot in some of the bigger games when they're playing Auburn. Um, You know, when they're playing, uh, you know, it's not going to make as much of a difference with LSU and Alabama, but with a lot of the other SEC teams that are going to have to take on the rest of the year, that's going to help out a lot. And I do feel like, you know, there's no question that is efficient. It's just, it's going to be whether those playmakers develop. When they do, George's got a great chance of winning the SEC. If not, then they'll probably go down in the SEC championship game. Yeah, I mean, the player I was looking to emerge for them this season is Demetrius Robertson, the California transfer, who was the number one wide receiver recruit three years ago. And that was a class that included A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf. But he has not been um, the star that I thought he would be um, this year for uh, Georgia. So they've got to have guys like him step up. Well, Joe, I'm sure there's some Georgia fans that are probably disappointed I've talked to a lot of people who wanted to see Notre Dame just get uh, get boat raced, and it didn't happen. But I'm going to tell you he's a real disappointed fan base right now, and that is Michigan. Uh, that was a real boat racing, what Wisconsin did to Michigan. I did not see that. I did think Wisconsin would win that game, but I didn't think they would thoroughly embarrass Michigan the way they did, getting up 35 to nothing, like getting, what, like five or six fourth down conversions, stopping Michigan on every turn. And that was a really bad look for Hardball in a game where they were not even competitive. And right now, it looks like Michigan may not even maybe a fringe top five team in the pack in the Big Ten. I mean, right now, Ohio State looks head and heels above them. We know that Wisconsin's way better than them. Um, Iowa right now certainly looks better than Michigan. And I mean, you know, it just looks like Michigan's a middle of the road Big Ten team right now. And Yet again, I bought into all the Michigan hype and picked him to go into the college football playoff, and I should have known better because I really think now that it's starting to become apparent that Jim Harbaugh had a great quarterback in Andrew Luck, and he capitalized off that to do some unprecedented things at Stanford, and then he came into a 49ers program that had just a ridiculous defense with Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman, And he capitalized off an amazing defense. And that's why he got the Michigan job. And it wasn't really that he was a great coach. It's just that he came into some really exceptional situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he definitely did. And you look at the five years that he's been in Michigan, you might make a case that the 2015 team was his best. And some really good players on that team that are now in the NFL. Um, I guess my biggest takeaway, uh, when I evaluate Michigan, if they're not going to to, uh, contend this year with a senior quarterback in Shea Patterson, you just don't know if they're ever going to do that under Ardahl. I think that's what Michigan fans are digesting now in the 48 hours since that embarrassment against Wisconsin. And when I look at Wisconsin, Jonathan Taylor continues to impress me. I think he's one of the best, if not the best, running backs in the country. Over 200 yards on Saturday, a couple of touchdowns. He can also catch uh, passes out of the backfield. Just um, a dynamic player to watch. And arguably one of the best running backs Wisconsin has ever had. And that's saying a lot when you think about uh, Ball and Gordon and other guys that have come through there. Um, I think Wisconsin really could be a dark horse playoff contender the rest of the season. But we will quickly find out, you know, let's say Wisconsin runs the table the rest of the season and they're completely for real. You know, that would make Michigan fans maybe feel a little bit better. But let's say Wisconsin goes out and loses a couple of games and then Michigan starts losing more games. Then you start to realize that Michigan just was, was not um, up to the test as far as the height that I came with this season. Well, Joe, and you can't really question Harbaugh's ability as a recruiter because he does. He does a great job recruiting. Um, does a good job of really, you know, getting your, your your program on the public map. It's just what does he do with building up the talent and what is his game plan? Because I really feel like he's not used Shea Patterson's abilities to win games and really feel like Shea Patterson's regressed. It's like he was a better quarterback as a freshman at Ole Miss – than what we're seeing right now when he's a senior at Michigan under what's supposed to be a quarterback guru and someone that played in the NFL and played at a high level at Michigan. And Trey Patterson, frankly, looks worse. And that, to me, is the most troubling thing if you're a Michigan fan. And not only that, it seems like Harbaugh's got a little bit of the Les Miles thing where he refuses to change his offensive ideology, no matter what way the times are changing and you know, one thing I'll give to Saban is that he has completely embraced a new fun and gun offense because that's the players that he has and Harbaugh went out and got a quarterback that's a gunslinger and he's treating him like a game manager and that just doesn't work No, I completely agree with that it is uh, very puzzling now Shane Patterson has struggled um, in the two years in Michigan you don't see the high flying aerial attack that you envisioned coming in 2019. You know, they brought in new offensive coaches They were supposed to run an offense similar to what you ran in Ole Miss. There's been nothing close to that level. If you look at um, the Big Ten Conference in general, with the exception of Ohio State and maybe Penn State, it's just over the years you see very anemic quarterback play. In Northwestern, we have Hunter Johnson, a former five-star quarterback recruit who is just struggling immensely at Northwestern. I mean, their offense is horrible. It just seems like, for whatever reason, these quarterbacks that are so talented come to the Big Ten Conference and play anywhere but Ohio State, and they just don't look like the same player. Now, Jeff, there's no doubt about that. I mean, there's a few exceptions. I mean, uh, you have a transfer Russell Wilson coming to Wisconsin, but that's not like he was there for four years. But it is, it is difficult to think about a lot of quarterbacks in the Big Ten doing that great. You had Tom Brady 20 years ago, but he didn't even start from Michigan for most of it. So it really, it really is a quarterback-bereft uh, conference for the most part. Um, speaking of which, it's kind of why Jonathan Taylor works so well for them. I really think that he should get real Heisman looks this year. Uh, he rushed for 203 yards against Michigan in three quarters of play. He didn't play a down in the second quarter. And you kind of felt like if he could have played for one more quarter, he might have even gotten a 300 against Michigan. And I think that he's gotten something like over 100 yards in 12 of his last 14 games. I mean, the guy's an absolute machine. And I really hope that this year during the Hosman presentation, and the voters actually look at giving it to a quarter, a player who's not a quarterback, because I think Jonathan Taylor is the most meritorious running back we've seen in a long time for possible Heisman uh, nod. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's the focal point of his offense. I mean, people are going to talk about um, Burrow and Tua, and rightfully so, and Jalen Hurts. But I put um, Jonathan Taylor right up there with those three. I think so, too. And if Wisconsin actually goes out and they win the Big Ten championship and play in the playoff, then I think there's a more real, realistic chance that he could win the hot Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, Joe, speaking of things that are no longer realistic, uh, UCF finally lost their first game in three seasons during the regular season. And they didn't lose to Stanford. They didn't lose to an actual good team. They lost to a very average ACC team in Pitt. I thought that was a very bad look for UCF, especially when they came back and and took a 10-point lead and they let Pittsburgh beat them on the Philly special play. I I literally couldn't believe that because UCF was like a pretty dominant team that I thought was a legitimate top 10 team. And that, that loss in Pittsburgh just boggles my mind. Yeah, I mean, very mind boggling. I know this was a Pittsburgh team that made it, I guess, to the ACC championship last year. But that was not saying a lot for the talent club on their division. UCF expected bigger things than that, did not expect them to fall like this at home. And uh, now Boise State is, I guess, in the driver's seat to get the group of five automatic bid for meter six. That's right, Joe. It looks very good for Boise State. They've got that really great come-from-behind wind over Florida State. Um, speaking of group of five, I did want to throw a quick mention out. Did you get a chance to watch that amazing Tulane-Houston game? Uh, I mean, the ending to that game was spectacular. Tulane at home fakes a spike and gets a 20-yard run and then throws a 50-yard touchdown pass on the next play. And that was really one of the more exciting games I've watched all college football season. And then we feel better uh, about Auburn only beating Tulane by 18 points. It looks like a, a real team. And on the flip side of that, uh, first year for Dana Holgerson at Houston not going so well. Yeah, I started that highlight, like Dan, and I was really interested in that game personally because one of the running backs for Tulane, Vaughn Butterson, is a local guy from my high school, and he had his first career I think rushing touchdown in that game, a nine-yard run earlier in the game. So. Um, it was a fascinating finish. Uh, very disappointed for Houston um, with the level of expect- expectation they had uh, coming into the season. And then, uh, speaking of just great games, crazy games, what do you think about that Washington State UCLA game? Well, Joe, I-, I feel bad that I didn't stay awake for it. I was I was able to watch the end of Notre Dame and Georgia, but I. I found out about it the next day, and I can't believe that Washington State of all teams would blow a 32-point lead to UCLA with, I think, like two minutes left in the third quarter is when the comeback started. And, I mean, Washington State still scored a touchdown, so they basically gave up six touchdowns to UCLA in a little more than a quarter. So that uh, that was really crazy, and especially with how anemic UCLA and DTR, Dorian, you know, Robinson had been on offense leading up to that. I mean, it really kind of came out of nowhere. And, and you know, I think that shows a little bit that Chip Kelly had those guys playing mad because people like us, all have been talking about is how garbage UCLA was the first couple of weeks of the season. Yeah, and you look at um, Washington State, Anthony Gordon, Under Mike Leach, they have been one of the best offenses in the country, as they are year in and year out, with their passing attack. And Gordon leads the country in passing touchdowns. He had nine passing touchdowns in a single game against UCLA on Saturday. He did everything he could to take the team on his back. It still wasn't enough. And actually, Gordon is on pace for over 80 touchdown passes (laughs) this year. We know it's crazy too, Joe, is that uh, Washington State losing 67 63, putting up 63 points, is the most points a team has ever put up in a regulation game and lost. So that's not the kind of distinction you want to have, but they put up 63 points and lost the game. Yeah. All right, so that's really embarrassing, but Arkansas, Arkansas losing to San Jose State, a team that was 1 in 10 the year before. And excuse me one eleven the year before and hadn't been a power five team in twelve years. Do you think that is more embarrassing than Washington State blowing a thirty-two-point lead against UCLA with two minutes left in the third quarter? I would say that as far as embarrassment, losing to a team like San Jose State trumps um, the thirty-two point loss, but I would say that anytime you lose a game like Washington State did I guarantee you that that loss will haunt the Washington State players, coaches, and fan base a lot longer than the San Jose State loss will for Arkansas. I agree, Joe. I mean, Arkansas right now is a train wreck of a program. It looks like they're probably going to be having another coaching search soon, and there's not a lot expected of them. But, I mean, this was a team with Mike Leach that still had playoff, fringe playoff aspirations and Pac-12 title hopes, so – Really rough loss for them, and I think that kind of shuts the door on them. Um, thank you for everyone for listening. Join us in for our part two, which will be detailing the NFL. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm